Hey guys, it's me, Rick. Uh, just me today. We're going to be talking with Nathan Reynolds, um, a little bit about his, uh, his lineage, his bloodline, um, where he comes from and, uh, what kind of a past he had, um, growing up in Lake Havasu in one of these, uh, satanic ritualistic bloodline families. But before we get to that, I just want to let you guys know that Kristen's not going to be with me tonight, uh, due to some family emergencies that came up. And so she and her sister and mom are taking care of that. And so they're not going to be with us tonight. Um, uh, but if you wouldn't mind throwing out a prayer for, for Kristen and her family, just some tragedy struck and, you know, we can't, um, we can't predict what's going to happen in the world, but we do know that God is good and that he can make um, he can turn all things good, right? He can take a bad situation and make it good. And, and I pray that he can do that. So pray with me on that. That would be awesome. And with that, uh, we're going to get into the show. Thanks. All right, everybody out there, welcome back to That's So Fringy podcast. I am here with my new friend, Nathan Reynolds. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. This is awesome. Oh, couldn't be more thankful to be here, Rick. That's great, man. And you, I just wanted to bring you onto the podcast because Kristen and I had heard you on Eyes on the Right, I believe it was, with Amy. And, uh, man, we were blown away by your testimony and everything that, uh, that you were involved in in your life. And, uh, we just wanted the opportunity to have a conversation with you as well and introduce you to, uh, to our friends over here in the fringy sphere. But uh, with that, man, hey, could you just start at the beginning and just give us a little bit of an understanding of, of, of who you are and uh, and where you come from? Because I know and I heard from your, your time with Amy that you've got a pretty interesting past when it comes to some bloodlines and stuff like that. And, I, and I'm sure, um, you know, as we've gone through and done some different episodes, we've talked a lot about bloodlines. We've talked a lot about, you know, secret societies and, and child trafficking and stuff like that. And you, and you have a very um, intimate understanding of this stuff, unfortunately. And so it, without further ado, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you and just let you explain to our friends where you're from and, and who you are. You bet. Well, thanks again so much for having me, Rick. And for those of you that are maybe the first time ever diving into some of these topics, along with with a lot of people right now, there is this kind of resurgence of people that are curious and trying to understand why the world is where it is and what it mm -hmm. actually took to get us here. But I grew up kind of smashed between the normal realm of the living and this land of the dead, you mm. know, and it took me really until 20, 30 years into my life before I really got a deep understanding with how different it was my sure. upbringing versus like my wife you know and it took me years of this mental undoing to begin to realize how systematized the the indoctrination was that i was in a mm. part of you know and i was raised in this area in arizona where everything that is taboo or perverse in a sense had been normalized to such an extent that it was family practice. It was considered mm. the, the way things were done. It was the family business. And I use those phrase family to refer to not just like my biological parents and the people that raised me directly, but to a family abroad, because mm. 
I was raised inside this group, really a, a cult that operates with this old religious ideology. These people that are practitioners of the ancient religions that go all the way back to Sumer, all the way back to Babylon and Egypt, mm -hmm. and people that have been preserving their bloodline not just in the sense of the genetic seed line, but also in the religious priesthood, that mm. they're people that believe sincerely. They have the divine right to rule like kings, that they mm. really have a different seed line as that's, that's come from the seed of the serpent, the seed of, of the dragon. And because of that, they look at people, mankind, as a form of subspecies, as a class of beings that's inferior and predominantly it's because they they think there's a lack of knowledge on one side they have this enlightenment this wisdom that's come to them that's been preserved by them a secret history that gives them this power from within and so my mm -hmm. family the reynolds family that that i come from they've been participating and interacting with this other realm behind the scenes because they got initiated into this bloodline through discovery predominantly of these mm. ancient books there's a priest class out of out of uruk that that had been communing with with dragons and i know for some that's going to be way far out there however people <laughs> yeah. have been communing with serpents for a long time and predominantly to try to find the future they want a divination they want to they want to know what's going to happen around the corner and mm. people that wanted to do that they would they would participate in ritualistic abuse of children and predominantly the cult that i come from they would do that from grandfathers to grandsons and so early on, my formative years of experience were being taken down to a city called Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And there in Lake Havasu, it was really founded to be a pleasure island for perverts, for pedophiles, just yeah. put it transparently. And the sure. guy who founded it, a guy named Robert P. McCulloch, that's what his engineering basis was for the city. It was founded in a place that was called Site 6. It was a United States Army air base back during World War II. Mm -hmm. And it was known for kind of, you know, R&R, rest and recreation. And then it kind of got this seedier reputation over time because people began to build it into a retirement community. And mm -hmm. along with that, they began to work with some of these secret societies, specifically with the Knights of Columbus and the Jesuits, in order to build an underground infrastructure so that they could facilitate child abuse and child pornography and child exploitation. And so mm -hmm. there was a guy who was brought in named C.V. Wood who was working with Walt Disney in the establishment. He was the lead architect, really an engineer for a lot of the building and design of Disneyland over in California. And that's really where my family, on my mom's side, took roots as it was in kind of that underground trafficking scene in Orange County, which was bursting with, with, uh, with that in the back in the 1960s and 70s. And they mm. transferred that and built a literal playground for perverts in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. And they brought the London Bridge over, a bridge that was used yeah. from antiquity as a place of execution, public executions. And it was a charged object. This was one of these stones where they sacrificed people and mm. they did and practice something called inurement, where they would bury bodies, people alive, inside the walls of this, the bridge. This is why we have this little nursery rhyme. The London Bridge is falling down, falling mm -hmm. down. They would sing this as a main way of remembering, yes, we have to give children into the walls to keep those stones upright. And even today when they brought that bridge over, they uncovered 80 bodies, including five children that had been in stone and entombed into the walls of that that mm -hmm. structure and it was inside the walls of that where so much of this literal abuse began to take place for me early on my formative memories were being traumatized and abused and sexually exploited by these perverts in this cult mm -hmm. and it shattered 
so yeah. much of what I thought was love and relationship, family, what I believed yeah. was family, got so this was, utterly perverted. This was normal to place. you, you know, and it's, we've talked about this before, you know, you have a, you have a person that's like, well, well, how could, how could a person be in this for so long? Or how could they put up with this for so long? Or how could they, and you're just like, this is normal. You know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're not we're not being like, Oh, this is weird. We're actually looking at the, the regular world as if this is weird, you know? And you mentioned that previously. And, and the fact that, you know, you're seeing this seedy underground of Havasu and, and, uh, Anaheim and all these different places. What is that doing to your child psyche? You know, like what is, is this all normal to you or does it seem weird? You know, Above everything else, there was such a emphasis put on behavioral conditioning to where mm -hmm. it was like, I couldn't understand what you just described as what a normal world was. It was so other. It was so beyond a, a pale of insight, especially when I was young. The, the training that goes into shattering any self-defense self-protection any of your own capacity to fight back to run away you go mm -hmm. through such systemic shattering of every natural defense you would ever put up so early on that mm -hmm. it, it it impregnates you with disbelief for hope like you cannot escape it you can never get out so you mm -hmm. simply have to give in and this is where there really is an intentional shattering of the mind the introduction of dissociation as a means of escaping, as a means of getting away from it is, is I, I can't accept that this is happening to me. So I'm going to kind of separate myself from this event and go within, run inside. And that's mm -hmm. really what the goal of so much as systemic abuse is. And childhood trauma is to create these dissociative states to cause fragmentation of the personality. So you can create a blank slate. This is like when somebody goes through massive mm -hmm. trauma and there's a blank in their memory their body still went through that, whether it was a car accident, whether it was a rape. But when you do this systemically to children, it causes this dissociative episode and you get a blank slate and then you can come in as the hero. And that's that's mm -hmm. how I got bonded through trauma to my sure. abusers, because on one side, the one that went through this trauma becomes a self autonomous personality that's trauma that's bound to the perverts mm -hmm. and thinks this is what love is this is what families this is what what truth is and so your entire world gets set inside that really perverse framework there is no bleed over really between that and your daytime person the one that's normal and going through life and trying to go to school or trying to have friends that side is so separate and distinct from the side that's going through that abuse so that there is not a, a real reckoning until later on, until something comes along really to try to rattle mm. that apart and break those seams down. Yeah. Were you going to regular school or were you homeschooled or how did that work? You know, the, the whole goal of my family that made it possible was to maintain anonymity as mm. much as possible so that I was really deliberately trained to be background noise, to never stand out, to never be noticed and so the way that also i mean on one side you can't always hide the physical marks of what's happening you know and sure. so when that would come to the surface or when there was teachers that started to suspect things you know i went from i went to public schools private schools and homeschool and i would rotate between those as mm. things got 
kind of picked up or red flags got thrown out if teachers started being concerned or I started bonding to other children and developing really close emotional ties. As soon as that would happen, there was also a, a ripping away because mm-hmm. the, the real goal was to never allow me to form those types of relationships where I could find another safe harbor because yeah. I, I could start to try to think of that escape route, start to try mm. to think about talking to these people. And everywhere else, though, it was a very closed society. It's a cult. I mean, yeah. they control so much of the influence around you. And it's not as hard to do for young children. It mm-hmm. gets harder, though, as you give them any type of freedom or autonomy. And so everything in my life was very structured and mm. everything was kind of geared so that there was plausible deniability excuses about these things you know lots and lots of er room visits well that you get to a certain point in a town where they literally we have to move because you've been to the er too many times and sure. we got to go relocate wow and you had siblings i did i had two older sisters and mm. uh there, at no point in any of this were my sisters participatory you know and that was kind of a lot of these families they call it they make you believe you're the chosen one you know you're the Mm -hmm. special one that's selected out of the family and my family was much more a male cult you know that Mm -hmm. i didn't see or participate see my sisters participating in any side of this however my mom really operated more as like a a stepford wife i mean it's the best way Mm -hmm. to put a very fugued out kind of dissociative just go along with everything you know a very different kind of personality to function that way yeah it would have to be kind of that way, you know, because you, I don't know, I don't see how a mother could could do that type of thing unless she had been in this for a very long time, you know, and then they get to the point where it's just like, this is normal. Again, like we talked about, this is normal, unfortunately, but they, you know, you can always see that shell of a, of a human, you know, you can see it in the eyes that, you know, there's not a lot going on in there, unfortunately, and they're just somewhere else you know like you said trying not to be there and present so so when you when you first kind of like when did you first kind of come to grips with the fact that you were you were in this cult and there and there was something uh going on odd here you know it's a really good question there was little there was little snippets of warning signs along the way you know, but mm. it really wasn't until I started going into my teenage years and I got, I got caught up with so much violence, you oh, know, yeah. there was such an emphasis put on finding a way for me. I had this internal need for justice that mm. a, a need to understand and a need for vengeance, justice. I wanted, I wanted nobody else to suffer the way I suffered. I wanted no Mm. other child to go through that pain. And that became really the lever that was constantly used in, in as a, as a weapon against me, you know? And so Mm. a lot of the training that I began to be used for in in the family and for the cult was, was through violence and it was through Mm. the systemic attacking and, and like elimination of other people, capturing of evidence, planting evidence as a drug mule and, and bringing this kind of retribution against people that spoke the secrets, right? You're supposed to go cut the Mm. tongues out of these people and, and make a message to the masses. I mean, there's a lot of disgusting amounts of violence, but for me, it was the outlet that I had to try to fight back. You know, if they could convince me that this person was a was a total monster, a pervert, mm-hmm. that I would go after a man with everything in me. And so I was wrapped up so tightly and intimately into that. And then the United States military and my family had began to groom me towards that direction in the military. And so I went into the special kill teams with the United States military. And I thought that was my out, man. I thought I, thought I finally found a way out of the cult. Mm-hmm. And I finally found a way out of this constant worthlessness and this degradation of my identity because my 
my family would just kind of move me from one really difficult situation, but then they would bring like my great grandfather was moved in as a, as an abuser. My family signed away rights to my body to him mm. when I was a teenage, really young teenager, you know, 12, 11. And, uh, and they got really rich from him and I got torment, you know, for, yeah. for years of my life. And so after he died, my abuser died, my identity was so shuttered down and I just, I was looking for freedom. I was looking for a way out. And I really thought the military had that. I, I grew up in the same culture where the military is like the only real man's man. It's like a firefighter, sure. a copper, a yeah. soldier, you know, those are, those are the men. And uh, yeah. I wanted to be like that. I wanted to have the power to fight back. I wanted to have the the ability to get away from the cult, but I kind of just jumped out of one frying pan and into another fire, you know, mm -hmm. and I got to learn that there was so much corruption still within the military where I wasn't really allowed to eradicate full networks or full rings, that there was still this disgusting little game of duplicity everywhere. And it was mm -hmm. really as I got towards the end of my, my time in the military that the father began to peel a lot of those lenses back and began to reveal to me what things really were you know, mm. and it, but at the same time, I was still so caught up in, in my trauma and my pain and this just desperate need for redemption that I could not explain or articulate. And I was stuck in that for years trying to yeah. figure out what's going on. And finally, I got to a place where I, I started going back to like a recovery program at a church and got out of the military and I was going to school to study psychology. And I got off all the pharmaceuticals that they were trying to just constantly drug me with. And that's really where so much of it began to shift for me was beginning to kind of get some of my own conscious thought back, being able to think clearly and understand things. And it was into that season that I met the woman that would become my wife who, who began to show me that safe harbor and show me unconditional love in a way that was not duplicitous, in a way that wasn't actually behind the scenes planning something else. And it was sure. there in that the formative years of our early marriage that so much of the the past of my pain began to leak out it began mm. to show anybody that's been in a marriage man you can't hide it all you can hide yeah. some for a while but eventually yeah. man women are gifted by our creator with an intuition that is mm. so needed they are like your over the horizon radar station and she could understand aspects of me that i couldn't quite get there to and she began to just show love to me consistently and that mm. was so much of what i needed was was a foundation built in love yeah yeah and that you know that really speaks to a person that hasn't really experienced that before or maybe hasn't experienced true love something that you might have thought was love but when you when you fully experience real unconditional love it it really speaks to your soul man your your heart and and you can tell it's different right this isn't the same that that I've been having for the, my whole life this is something very different and uh so that's cool how how old were you when that happened when you guys met you know i think i was man 20 maybe mm. 20 years old when we met we got married i was 22 and but it was i mean man for the first couple of years of our marriage though i still she she married half of me you know she mm. married like, like the the christian like guy who's speaking on stage at church guy she married mm -hmm. that guy she had no idea about the other guy until he came crawling out of the closet you know a few mm -hmm. years into the marriage and uh my family wanted I was like a free agent, you know, and when you get in the world of like corporate espionage and counter espionage and assassination, like you're, nobody wants to necessarily waste that. And my family fell financially on hard times and wanted to use me and exploit me again. And so they kind of did what they could to, to bring that other personality back. 
but that had never happened inside a relationship. And this is what kind of a fatal flaw that really took place because that other side of me that carried the, the memories that carried so much of the bondage that carried so much of the, the rage mm-hmm. came forward. And I mean, it's a lot different when you're 15 and 16 years old and you don't have mm-hmm. a car and you don't have a way out and you're stuck there. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a lot different than when you're 25 years old and you have access to the internet and you have access to vehicles and you mm-hmm. can start planning and start uncovering yeah. what's been going on. And that's, man, I was on an all out season of figuring out what to do to fight back, mm-hmm. you know? And so like baseline for me was to go out and hunt pedophiles. I mean, it was just like kind of overnight. It was like, I'm going to get body armor and I'm buying pistols and I'm going out at night and hunting predators on the streets of Boulder, Colorado, you know? And my wife was like, I started going by a different name. I started, I, I disassociated from all my own friends and church. I mean, just different person had no emotional mm. connection to any of these people, mm. including my wife. It was like, she was a stranger to me. You know, it was yeah. like, I don't, I know we're married. I don't know who you really are. And I don't mm-hmm. know what we are together. And so it was just like ships passing at the night and we were both working career jobs. She was a, an RN at the time. And it was like, we didn't have any basis, but then we made a decision in our marriage that changed us forever. And we turned off the TV. Like mm-hmm. we stopped watching shows. We stopped escaping through the amusements of technology mm-hmm. and we started talking to each other. And it was, it was into that moment that I suddenly began to hear the stories from her past. Like what was Thanksgiving like for her experience? You know, what was Thanksgiving? And then I would tell her about mine and she would have this look on her face of just (laughs) horror and disgust. Like, sure. And I could see this going off like bombs Mm -hmm. in her head. And I'm like, man, she can't handle it. I can't tell her anymore, you know, but I would kind of watch her and her response. And suddenly you'd see like, no, she's, she's still here, you know, Mm. like she's, she'll stick with us. And so that's what really grew that bridge between her and I was, was finally starting to let her in to this Mm. broken chamber of my heart. Yeah, man, that must've been so hard to do knowing, knowing all of the stuff that you've been through and knowing all the stuff that has happened, it's gotta be so difficult to just let that stuff out. And especially to somebody when you're like, I don't know how they're going to take this, right? You're, you're like watching their face, trying to figure out like, is this going well? I don't know. I don't know if we should be doing this, but, uh, it sounds like things worked out. It sounds like she, she ended up accepting you for who you are in the end, which is awesome. Well, let's go back just a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about more about the cult and about how how this um, family bloodline works. We've got this um, bloodline that you're in. Are there several bloodlines? Are we talking about a very select few? Are there a lot of them? Is this uh, something that's all throughout the world? What does this look like? You know, that's a great question. There's there's a lot of bloodlines, yes. Now, each of these has a different heraldry or genealogy that they are going to be ascribing to. Mm-hmm. So on on one side, just for a broad understanding of what these bloodlines belief system, a lot of it is, it's going to be different if you go and look at the Li family in China. It's going to be different if you're dealing with the Orsinis you know, over in, in Italy and those mm-hmm. that are here in the Americas. Everyone's got a different appeal to authority, right? Because you must understand we're dealing with with immortals, right? People that like, these are, these are the fallen rebel angels and watcher angels that descended at Mount Hermon. Like 
there are angels that came down and mingled with mankind back in the days of Noah, right before the days of Noah, but really that led up to the great cataclysm of the flood. And they injected their seed line into mankind and led to these abominations. I mean, these hybrids. And it was really those gods, those immortals that, that so much of the religions built themselves off of their narratives, their stories, their mythologies. And you must understand, they don't look at that as myth. They look at that as history and they don't just look at it as history. It's like, no, this is our family's legacy. And so after the days of the flood, the one who really regathered so much of that knowledge and that information was Nimrod and Semiramis. And this is really the heart of Babylonian mysticism that grew out of that. The one world religion, the one tongue that they were all unified under was operating under this, these gods again, these immortals. They were trying to rebuild what was happening before the flood. They were trying to regather the knowledge and the secrets of the the power that was there before the flood. And they were trying to draw this back up. This is what was going on when you read Genesis 10. If you read it through the lens of like how the mystical religions got their start, that's where it happened. There was a massive division, not only of languages, but of principalities at that tower. Mm. And this is the moment where many of these bloodlines trace themselves to. In order for them to have a right to rule, they believe they are descendants of this class of beings from the tower. And they really do hold and preserve their heraldries to various degrees, to different generations going back. But they like, like people guarded the genealogies to the Messiah right? I believe is Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, as I've come to know him now. They still are preserving their heraldries to try to bring about a Messiah. And so because of that, they take these things super seriously. And some of these so much so that this is what leads to a lot of incestuous inbreeding is to try to preserve the purity of the bloodline. So you can have a variety of different bloodlines that descend from there, and then you can have branches that are going off of it of varying degrees of purity. So like my family... and. The other side of it that gets mixed in is you can have bastard sons, to put it Mm. just transparently. You can have sons that come from a very high-ranking bloodline who mingled with someone of a lower-ranking bloodline that they don't want raised in that higher bloodline, but they also don't want to destroy them, so they Mm. move them into a different family. And that's where some of these families, like we talk about here, the Astors here in the United States, or whether it's the Rothschilds or some of these other ones, they are kind of an amalgamation between some of the more you could say the pure bloodlines, if that makes sense. So yeah. each each nation in each territory is governed and they give themselves dominion to a principality. Like they really, they report to a principality, every one of them. And they have, are oh. their agents on this earth, just as much as somebody that's a believer in the Messiah. They're like, I'm an ambassador for the Messiah on this earth. Well, these people really do have a chain of command they report to. And I'm mm. talking about in the spiritual realm, but they have physical agents on this earth and these bloodline representatives are those ambassadors for that mighty one, for that immortal. And so wow. that is their job is to be doing his will, doing their will on this earth. And that's why you see the fruit of these families being so perverse and so deprived because they're operating in a very different force. They, they call it the mm. force, right? If you get into any of these other like Freemasonries, my grandpa on, on my dad's side, right? Freemason Luciferians. The Catholics yeah. on the other side, the Jesuits, these people are are bowing down to a very different kind of mysticism in its own way. But mm-hmm. these people are tapping into a force of iniquity. 
like people that are deeply rebellious towards the commandments of the scriptures, people that are sure. that are fueling themselves through the evil, radical, intelligent evil. There's a power source there, and mm. they need to recharge it. The immortals that we wrestle against, they they don't have limitless power. And so they have to recharge it. And this is why there's there's suffering, there's anguish, there's abuse, and why there's so much consumption of the children because that mm -hmm. is for them the, the most pure and powerful battery bank that they can get their hands on and that's why yeah. there's a consumption there's a focus on something called the star fire which is drinking of blood you know they're drinking mm -hmm. from skulls for a reason because they're they're genuinely refueling that kingdom iniquity force and that's what gives them the opportunity to devour people because most mankind is just ignorant of this stuff they're ignorant mm -hmm. of the schemes of the devil and because of that he can take them captive to do his desire and this is yeah. what leads to it that so many it's that kingdom of compromise fundamentally yeah i mean i mean you have so many people out there that don't even believe that the devil exists you know like if you go back that far to where you're just like there's not even an enemy and you're just like bro we have to pay attention guys we have to pay attention because the stuff that nathan's saying is is true there's these people out there and and it's very easy to to, to not know anything about this right because as you said at the beginning they're hiding this stuff on purpose they're hiding it in plain sight because they know um, the atrocity that it is to the everyday normal American human, you know, so, or, or, or the, the grand public as, as a whole, they know that most people don't get along with the stuff that they do. Right. And so they have to hide it. And so the average American citizen might be listening to this and be like, I've never seen this. I don't know anything about this. It's like, duh. Of course, you don't know anything about this. They're not doing it on Time Magazine and and on the news and stuff like that. But nowadays, we're beginning to see things. And now that people are paying attention and actually looking for the things that you're talking about and others have been talking about on many podcasts and videos and shows throughout the Internet in the last couple years or more, um, people are beginning to see the symbolism. They're beginning to see all of these things and they're beginning to make these connections. And, uh, so, you know, the, some people would say, what is this guy talking about? There's no way that all of this stuff's going on and I missed it. And I would argue this is why it's going on. And this is why you've missed it because they don't want you to know because they know if there's an uprising of people that are, that are, like you and I that don't believe that this should be happening, we are going to rise up and we are more than they are and we will take them down. And this is the point of what we're doing now, which is what we're trying to do is wake people up and take these people down. But we have to realize that just because you didn't see it on the news doesn't mean that this stuff doesn't happen. I mean, this is, this is dark underbelly of the world stuff that most people don't even have any ideas happening. And, I think I would, and my, my contention is that this is, unfortunately, we've subjected ourselves to many hirelings as our, mm. as our pastors, as our leaders, the people that mm. were supposed to lead us out of ignorance and into the truth. Mm -hmm. The word truth in the scriptures is better defined a lot of times as reality. You know, mm. we, we are in, unfortunately being raised by the conquerors, like yeah. we are being raised by our adversaries. And because of that, yeah. like. Like it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's like, listen, don't go with these people into their temples to worship these mm -hmm. other mighty ones. He says, because they don't know what they're doing is evil. Right. And that's super hard for some of you to palate and understand that that level of like child exploitation, they don't mm -hmm. think it's evil because they don't look at the child as innocent. They look at yeah. the child as that's my right. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my cattle. You know, like mm-hmm. I was sold like a dog, you know, like a bread dog, like a breeding dog with paperwork, mm-hmm. you know, that's how families do business. There was not this, this morality that might come through the lens of scripture. If you're raised with biblical authenticity in your life, mm-hmm. that is very different than the form of what they believe. They believe they have the right to rule in any way that they see fit, that the ends 100% justify the means. And Mm. this has really been taking its ground here in the Americas because the Americas were designed by a lot of these family bloodlines by people like Francis Bacon and John Dee and some of these deep occultists, people that have been the priest class communing with these spirits for generation. Mm. This is why an agenda or a plan can get carried on for hundreds of years outliving the people that started or carry off this section of it it keeps going on because you're dealing with the war of the ages we are dealing Mm. with spiritual powers that don't sleep they don't get hungry they don't get weary understand that these were supposed to be the divine hierarchy within the heavens righteous powerful beings were supposed Mm. to govern us like it says in psalms 2 and psalm 82 like they were supposed to do good and lend and lend out righteous rulings and judgment looking after the poor and the orphans they were supposed to do mighty things and Mm. instead they took their power and they became manipulators they became deceivers they became Mm. beguilers this is the inherent trait of the dragon is that he is subtle and crafty Mm. his power source is most effective in no one knowing he's there that's a camouflage ambush predator and we must never lose sight of the power of these immortals not to diminish at all from the authority that the messiah gives us and him going over and heralding over them in victory taking the keys of death from the devil who had had him i mean he triumphed over them that being said most people are not taught about the schemes of the devil right Mm. that word schemes like in hebrew really goes back to the idea of amusement technology mesmerization right there's these devices that the devil uses to deploy a smoke screen so he can operate without people being aware of what he's doing and fundamentally we're supposed to have the discernment of of spirits to know and identify the tactics of the enemy to to know their fruits because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who outwardly look like good shepherds but inwardly they are the ravenous wolves like ananias and sapphira sneaking in to the front door trying to destroy the church from within like but one of the last meals the Messiah ever had, Satan entered into the room and all the other apostles were ignorant of it. You know, mm-hmm. but Yeshua is troubled in his spirit and detects him coming in there to enter into Judas. And mm-hmm. this is the the reality is most people are blinded to the tactics of the enemy because yeah. they were raised by the very people, the agents of evil who got the power, who got the influence for the last 180 years in order yeah. to to lay out when my contention is this is the kingdom of the beast. This is the season of the revelation of the beast because they used to cut the tongues out of people that talked about this stuff. I was I was yeah. not I was convinced I would die if I ever talked about the secrets. I was convinced yeah. when I started telling my wife, if I speak about this stuff, I'm going to die. You know what? I had a child that was in my wife's womb that my family wanted me to sign parental rights over so I mm. could have the trust fund. And I was not willing for my daughter to suffer that torment of what I knew happened mm. for two weeks out of a summer. I, I was not mm. willing to, to see her go through that. Yeah. Nor to, nor to be the father that compromised for the sakes of, you know what? It would have been a lot easier to get a yes to anything I ever wanted from then out. Mm. But you know what? Men were made to be courageous. We were made to yes. lay our lives down for our wives and for our families and to show mm-hmm. a good example of what it's like to toil in the right 
things in this world to labor for a better future for our children than the one that mm-hmm. we have. And you know what? That's why my mission is so pointed against the kingdom of darkness, is so adamantly opposed to it because I was purchased out of the kingdom of death. I've yeah. my, my, my father in heaven delivered me. And because of that, man, I'll serve him. And like, I, I, I just appeal to men out there that are listening to this. You have a responsibility as a father, as a husband, as a duty to guard the innocent lambs that are around you and to fiercely protect them. But you at the same time must not be ignorant of the methods that the enemy is using to destroy your home, to infiltrate your children's mind and to work wonders and signs to captivate them and draw them away to do his desires. We are supposed to be the shepherds and follow Mm -hmm. the chief shepherd's example to drive the evil from our midst. And by doing that, man, he gives us the power and the authority and the backing that we need to overcome and to tear down those strongholds. That's what it's said yeshua came here to tear down the strongholds of the devil and we're supposed to go and do likewise yeah and it's so powerful man just to know that we don't have to fear we don't have to worry if this stuff is going to happen if if yeshua has won if you know we know we know that this stuff is already finished it's just these echoes playing out right now and i think a lot of people are really um focused on the world right now and everything that's going on and all of the physical right we're we're really focused on the physical and as i've been reading in my bible lately i've been catching a lot of jesus talking about the spirit right and we know and we know that we live we should be living by the spirit paul talks a lot about living by the spirit and i think this is what you're talking about, right? Like separating this, this worldly stuff that we know is happening from the spiritual stuff. We got to put that stuff back together and realize that the spiritual is still around. Like this wasn't old school Bible versus new school world that we live in now. And all that stuff is dead and gone. Like we need to realize that all of that stuff is connected. Like when you say, men should stand up and, and, and be in authority and all of those different things. That's because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And when we do it, we get the outcome that God says that we get, which is the blessings and, and the righteousness and, and, and the authority and all of that stuff. But when we, when we aren't, when we're playing video games and we're messing around and we're not even paying attention or we're doom scrolling on, you know, on our phones, then, then what are we, right? We're not even paying attention. And, and then you have people that are paying attention to the spiritual and the supernatural and they know you're not paying attention and they know your kids are up for uh grabs because you're too busy you're not paying attention and and this stuff really happens kids go missing all the time i'm sure you could tell us better than than anybody really absolutely you know and that's fundamentally you've got a lot of people who work even in the child you know the awareness of human trafficking that's going on in a lot of those agencies that are supposed to be protecting and defending our children and looking after them are unfortunately the very place where the snakes hide, you know? And so because of that, we get very misconstrued numbers of actually who goes missing and how many go missing and what ends up happening. You know, like my family, they operated within the foster agencies. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like they're like, when they wanted victims, they're like, well, we're going to go get children that have been sexually abused already. Like we're going to go ahead and foster to adopt children that are already sexually exploited because mm-hmm. it kind of takes off a lot of the uh, hard abuse. You got to crack them before they are, you know, yeah. it's like they break their horses before they ride them. And so sure. they prefer it when they can snap up children that are already readily done that too. And this is a mainstream way of doing it. And please understand my family operates like Christians. Okay. Mm-hmm. They on the, like they are, 
they are, I mean, master's level people from Christian universities type of people that are operating mm -hmm. inside these cults because this is, this is their camouflage. They've got two sides and one of them is out absolutely committed to this kind of evil. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And because of that, this is why like most, most Christians are terrified at the idea that there's been a satanic infiltration of the church. That in <laughs> of itself, just that statement makes me get thrown out of churches. People are like, I just say that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, I'm sorry, but the witches are running yeah. the show around here, you know? And like, that's it's where true. they went from the beginning. Like, please mm -hmm. understand all the way from Mount Sinai till today, mm -hmm. they, we have had people that were worshiping the star of Ramphamm and passing their children through the fire of Moloch in the wilderness when they're eating manna in the morning and they're burning <laughs> their children alive to a different God in the yeah. wilderness, right? And this is yeah. still going on all the way into the church, early church years like we think about them. Mm -hmm. And it's been impregnated by the kingdom of darkness and those yeah. false apostles masquerading as angels of light who are outwardly beautiful whitewashed tombs and inwardly are full of dead men's bones. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the way that they're so effective is because like most parents, man, you're tired, you're worn out, you're exhausted. And like you said, it's a lot easier to go to those amusements, to go to those devices yeah. and to escape the hard the hard work, the toil of raising yeah. a family in righteousness on a narrow path, it requires mm. deliberate discipline. And instead, yeah. they've given us a very comfortable society, one mm. in which, yeah, you can just literally give your children. At, or, I mean, I was just listening to a lady who was talking about handing her one-year-old off for daycare, mm. but the, the, home, like the school version of daycare, from one-year-old on, that child is going to be raised by strangers by, yeah. like, for the rest of its life. You know, and this is like one of the books I'm, I'm like, I'm a passionate, ferocious reader. And here's a reference sure. for you guys. The Amer the Underground History of American Education, John Taylor Gatto. This book just goes through a lot of the where did we get the education system that we have yeah. and who were the people and the agencies that were behind the scenes. He's not a conspiracy kind of guy, right? However, he was like the teacher of the year. He was like the man's man, everyone's favorite teacher in New York until he started realizing like, uh, I'm basically designing stupidity into these children. Yeah. Like I can make yeah. a stupid kid from the Bronx turn into a brilliant child if I give him the right type of opportunities to develop his internal giftings and talents. And he's like, yeah. man, I'm basically engineering the destruction of these children's identity and molding them into an image that is godless, mm. is is devoid of reason, is bored, and has basically learned there's there's nothing good in the world for me. I'm screwed. Yeah. He's like, that's, I was trained to teach helplessness to children, that same level of, of brokenness of their will. He's like, this mm. is what we do. And he goes into the agencies that were behind the scenes. And when I dig into the history and all of these little places, when I go back to the beginning of where did these ideas come from, I find occultists. I, th I find people that were engaged in necromancy and sorcery, mm. people that were dabbling into the priest class of talking to these immortals. This is where the starts of so many of these things, the destructions of our home, ripping mm. out people's identities so that the mother is separated from her children, the father is separated from his family and headship and covering of his family. All of yeah. the destruction that we have seen of the values of biblical morality that got raped from us, mm. all of them have at their origins secret society members, people that operated in a time when it was illegal to go mm -hmm. engage in necromancy behind the scenes were driven underground and they practiced these things. And then there was this underground burgeoning of that, that got brought loose here in the Americas, especially in the 1800s with the spiritism movement, with people like theosophists and people that really were giving birth to the, the desire of geneticism as the purity, right? And like, mm -hmm. we have the right to eradicate unsavory species. The, the right. first 
United States Supreme Court and the University of Indiana, man, they were like, we want to practice forced sterilization against these these worthless retards, like their idea. And this yeah. is the first time it ever happened that the United States Supreme Court defended forced sterilization, killing another child against someone's yeah. will. The, the Nazis appealed to the United States' legal grounds for that during the Nuremberg trials. They're like, we called it the Indiana procedure after you guys. You guys are the best <laughs> eugenicists in the world. And now you're yeah. sitting here saying we are going to hang you for eradicating people against their will. It's you guys who set the precedence, you know? So we are devoid of a lot of this information that would help us navigate our world and understand, oh yeah, this is why our world is the way it is. Yeah, it's wild. There's just so much darkness in our world that we, you know, it's, it's hard to find the light sometimes, but it's there. You know, we got people all over the internet nowadays that are coming up and saying, you know, it's all over. We, we want to know more about the Bible. We want to know more about God. We want to understand more about the shape of our earth and, and what's going on in space and all of these different things. Like everybody wants to know about UFOs and aliens. And there's this hunger now where it's like, you can't get away with these secrets anymore that we're like i feel like this uh momentum shift where it's like we're not going to let you get what get rid of this stuff uh behind closed doors anymore i feel like people are just kicking doors open just like nope we want to see we want to see all the documents we want to see everything and uh and i think that that's good right because when the light really begins to shine um the darkness becomes less and less and less and the more that you understand that the darkness exists, then you know in which direction to shine your light, right? You know where the problems are. You know where to go and how to help. And I think that more Christians need to realize that the stuff that they're selling you in these churches is so watered down and basic, it's not even funny. And if you really want to know your Bible, just read it for yourself and it'll come alive to you, especially if you do so in concert with the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. And so, Guys, if you want to get rid of the darkness in this world, if everything that we're talking about on this podcast right now was really starting to stress you out, that's great. Pick up your Bible, start reading it, start praying, and really start pushing back this darkness because that's what we're going to do as a community of believers. We can't just sit around and talk about it. We got to do something about it. So with that, buddy, what else, um, what else are you doing these days? I know that your past is very interesting and people can go all around. They can pick up your book, um, Snatch from Flames and, and, and read all of your past and everything like that. What I'm worried about is what's going on with you right now? What's God doing in your life today? You know, a lot of, like I put out that book seven years ago, you know, mm-hmm. now and since then, my family and I, we traveled full time around the country for four and a half years in an RV. And I was just trying to learn a way of raising my family in wholeness and in authenticity. And we began to travel around to farms and homesteads and and trying to regain those skills that we were so deficient of, you know, and mm-hmm. we, we had, we I wanted to see what family really looked like, you know, mm-hmm. what does family actually mean? And so we devoted ourselves with, with an absolute intensity of trying to understand that and live that out. And, you know, we, I had that one daughter, Naomi, you know, and, and we separated from the cult and everything like that. And, Things got really crazy and really wild, but at the same time, I got to see the father take these years of of pain and suffering and torment that happened in my past, you know. But he gave, mm-hmm. he's purchased me a life of abundance and of peace 
more than I could have ever hoped for now, you know, and so, so much of what I'm passionate about devoting my life to is, is I don't really, I don't talk about these things except on interviews a lot of times when people want to sure. do this. However, I try to use the, the perspective that it gave me as a way of deciphering, Hey, how do we apply the scriptures today? How do we mm-hmm. understand this war of the ages? Like a series that I've been going through on YouTube that I've been teaching through right now is called the war of the ages because I want people to understand this war of the immortals that we are in and to be able to identify, yes, we have agents of evil that are operating under the influence of these powers, but we must understand why it's so critical that we can arm ourselves, like you said, with a hunger for the word, with a, with a reverential understanding of the word, because this sword is the discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of man. This yeah. is literally the most powerful force of of weaponry that's ever been given to us. And because Mm of our failure to maybe regard it or use it effectively or be trained to use it effectively, we've been very soft targets for a long time. But as you said, that ignorance that had been out there for a long time, that, that very divisive form of keeping people from understanding this stuff, that's because, I mean, it says plainly in the scripture in John 3, 19, it says, and this is the judgment that the Mm -hmm. light has come into the world and Mm -hmm. men love the darkness rather than the light. For their works were wicked. For everyone who is practicing evil matters hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But the one doing the truth comes to the light so that his works are clearly seen that they have been wrought in Elohim. This is fundamentally what's going to differentiate us as sons and daughters of righteousness is that we do come to the light. And you know what? One of the most powerful tools that we ever have is confession of our sins, is exposure to the light of what we've been, who we were before we got grabbed a hold of, before we got transformed into a new yeah. man, into a new woman. And you know what? These are our weapons that we have to contend with the adversary. It says the enemy, the dragon, that devil of old is defeated mm-hmm. by the blood of the lamb. The words of our testimony and not loving our life when we're faced with death. And as we see and experience, yes, there is this radical, intelligent evil that's stalking people in the darkness. You know what? When we shine the light of the truth on that, it scatters the enemy. Because fundamentally, let me just put it to you guys transparently. My, My family and the people that are operating in these shadows are cowards. They are absolutely cowards. They compromised so badly early on at different times in their life. They know that if the light truly shone on them, they would be utterly ruined. They would be ruined. And you know what? We have opportunities to continue to drive home the gospel message. The kingdom is at hand that we are supposed to advance the kingdom of righteousness to the very gates of hell. Like that's what we were commissioned to do. We have a duty as soldiers, as men and women, as representatives of the king of kings on this earth to go therefore into all the nations, into all the world, bringing the gospel of this kingdom to every creature. Like we have a duty to do that. And if we are derelict of duty, if we are deficient in understanding, we should go and appeal to the one who gives all good gifts from above for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Like it describes the Messiah when he's growing up, that he grew up in, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor before Elohim and before men. Like that's the trademark gifts that was given to Daniel and Hazariah, Mishael and Hananiah. Like Mm. they were 10 times better than all the Babylonian children. Then all the sages and the astrologers, the diviners, they had the wisdom of the scriptures from their youth. 
They said those words were supposed to impart upon our children from their youth so that at their end, they don't depart from it. And so I'm a passionate person about trying to bring people back. If anything I could get people towards, it's a hunger for the word. The yeah. word is where my identity was found. When I was seven years old, there was this TV show of these guys in an arena that were the power team, these bro, just yoked out buff dudes, breaking <laughs> bars of iron and tearing phone yeah. books in half. And they were just, if you think we are powerful, we are weak, man. They're like, but if you want to be strong, it is through the Jesus Christ. You can call on him and he'll deliver you, man. It was like, Jesus can be powerful. Like I never, I never thought of Jesus as powerful. I see this yeah. stripped down, naked, dead, dying version of him on a cross. And they're like, that's mm -hmm. Jesus. And you're like, what the heck? You're like, yeah. no, man, guys conquering nations. You know, like you read the book of Hebrews 11 and it's like they turned the world upside down. You know, mm -hmm. like these people were incredible. The believers are warriors, you yeah. know, but I needed to see, I needed to see warriors who were defending their faith, who were bold in their understanding and their mm -hmm. reasoning, who were contending with heretics and liars and people that had, that were under the influence of the enemy. You know, like, sure. yeah, like yeah. he raises up his people. He'd give them a word and raise them up, man. And he would make them contend with the philosophers and the religious orders of the day. He would tear the world inside out with his agents of righteousness. And you mm -hmm. know, it is my passion to try to see other people equipped with the truth of, yes, there is horrible stuff going on out there. We've got yeah. to talk about it. We've got to look at it. But we never leave people without the hope, without the understanding that because we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes, now let's go and shine the light of truth everywhere that we can. And so my family, I've got four children now, my wife and I, and we, we are absolutely devoted to trying to show people an example of how to live out a life of authenticity, yeah. to raise our children and to be able to try to train them up so they can be successful in navigating a world of landmines, a world of yeah. utter deceit and destruction everywhere that's out there. But you know what? It is a great time for us to live. There's never been a more exciting time to be alive. Like we are getting it to really live through the it. days that people have longed to be a part of. Like yeah. I'm so thankful for the evil that has been going on in the shadows to come to the light. Because you know what? At the end of the day, people are going to have to choose a side. There's, yeah. there's never going to be a kingdom of the gray. There is really a kingdom of light yeah. and a kingdom of darkness. You're either hot or you're cold. But let me tell you, all the lukewarm garbage is going to get spit right out of the Messiah's mouth. You're yeah. going to. There's a lot of people coming to him saying, "Lord, Lord," and he's like, "Get away from me! I never knew you." And those yeah. are some scary words, man. Those are some scary things that I think about a lot. And each of us should work out our salvation with fear and trembling and understanding. If we walk in his ways, man, he will empower us. He will give us the dynamite power, like you said, of the Holy Spirit to give yeah. us the ability to do wonders in his name. And it was me seeing people like that. I saw these guys like a guy named Russ Dizdar, who was just, man, he was clothed with power. And he wasn't afraid to talk about the occult. He wasn't afraid to talk about witches and warlocks and people that were cutting their hands and doing the curses. He wasn't afraid about that stuff. He was alive. He was speaking the secrets. And I was like, if he's not dead and he's been around for 30, 40 years talking about this stuff, there is real power in the kingdom of righteousness. You know, if yeah. they, there is authority that trumps all principalities and powers and rulers. There yeah. is one that we can appeal to, the judge of all the earth. That's like El Shaddai. You know, he's, mm -hmm. that's how Abraham got to know him. He's like, I am El Shaddai. He's the judge, the defender, the arbiter of justice. He's the one who looks after you like a mother or a father. He's the mm -hmm. one who will take care of you and he's still alive. He is not dead. Like they said, Nietzsche has purported that God is dead as they brainwashed and engineered a revolution. You know what? Yeah. No, he's not. He's alive. I don't serve the God of the dead. I serve the God of the living.
Yep. And, and, you know, there's a lot of dead gods out there. There's a lot that have, you know, come and gone and a lot of, uh, fakeness and a lot of, you know, fairy tale fantasy stuff. And there's all of these people that are, or not people, these other gods, if you will, that are trying to, uh, take over and, and say that this, this land is our land. And, and we've allowed that to happen for long enough. And I think, uh, you know, with, with your message and, and, uh, all that we're doing here on this podcast, I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that we have been lied to, right? We've been lied to about so many things and it's the questions, right? Start asking the questions, start asking these things, start, start telling the truth. Like that's just a simple thing, right? It seems so simple, but just start telling the truth no matter what happens or no matter how people like it or not like it, like that's not up to you. You just start doing the simple things like telling the truth and see what happens and go from there. You know, all of us are going to change this world. One conversation at a time, one loving statement at a time, one act of kindness at a time, you know, that's how it all works. And so Anyway, man, well, Nathan, this has been such a great conversation. I know that there's so much more that we could talk about, and hopefully you can come back on and we'll uh, we'll get into more of your story and talk about more of what you're doing. But, uh, man, I just love having conversations with real people that really love the Lord, and this has been such such a great, inspiring uh, message of, of hope and restoration. So with that, man, we're going to let this one go for now, but uh, l- let people know where they can find you on the internet, on the interwebs out there. You bet. Thank you again, Rick. Um, they can go to snatchedfromtheflames.com. I've got mm. my book available there and PDF or ebook. You got name your own price. So uh, whatever you guys like to contribute towards that, it's great. I've got mm. signed copies on there as well. But I, if anything else, I've got the audio scriptures. I did an entire recording from Genesis to Revelation of the scriptures. And uh, that's available free for download for you guys there. You can go to youtube.com, Nathan Reynolds. And uh, I'm also on Rumble at Nathan Reynolds and Snatched from the Flames as well. And TikTok is also at Snatched from the Flames. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's really been a joy to get to be here with you, Rick. And I'm just, I hope every one of you gets an opportunity to continue to advance the kingdom of righteousness with every chance you got. That's such a great way to end it, man. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll see you on the next one. Praise the Lord. We'll talk to you soon, brother.